quite a long reading this morning. We're going to read the first 28 verses of Matthew chapter 24. And as we read together, we remember that this is the Word of God, and so we can trust it completely. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then that lo let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Amen. We thank God for his word and trust that he'll help us to understand it as we come to look at it later on. This morning, 
I'm sure you're aware that we're going to work through this whole chapter, and there's a lot in it. And if we were to have a big idea over this passage, it would be this, that Jesus' words are true. He will come again, and we must be ready. If Jesus' words are true, He will come again, and we must be ready. And what is the problem that we face this morning from this passage? It is this, that man does not believe that Jesus will return, or we choose not to think about it. Be sure of this. Jesus will return. His words are true, and we must be ready. So as we look at Matthew 24, we are aware that this is a difficult passage. It is apocalyptic-style literature in the Bible. And this morning, we're going to try and draw some general principles and helpful points from this passage. And a helpful way to understand this is there are certain things that were then, but also not yet. There were now and not yet for the disciples. And in this passage, we will see that some of these are really closely entangled, and they can be tricky to navigate. So if you do have any questions, please do make use of that vestry hour later on in the week, because we're going to cover a lot of material here in a short space of time, but God's Word is really helpful. So let us work at it this morning. The end times, when, how, and what. Hopefully by the end of this service, we will have gotten there. So when a story starts, we love to know how it ends, don't we? That's how TV series work. That's why the soaps are so successful. That's why Netflix is so good and so popular and making so much money. They tell stories in such a way that grip us, that we become invested into them. We look at our watch as we, uh, as we uh, watch a series, and we know that there's maybe only three or four minutes left, and there's no way that we're going to find out the information that we want to so we have to tune back in again for the next episode or for the next series. They grip us. Well, here we are left with a cliffhanger at the very start of our passage. Look at it. Jesus is talking to the disciples in verse 2 of chapter 24. And please do keep your Bible open with me this morning as we work through this. Chapter 2 of verse 24. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And the disciples, they can't understand this. What is Jesus talking about? He leaves them with this cliffhanger. So at the appropriate time, they gather around him. Verse 3, whenever he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples come to him, and they ask these three questions. And these three questions are really helpful for us as we work through this passage. We've got to constantly keep them in mind. They ask this, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the close of this age. So for the disciples in their context, there would be those and some of these things that would be now. And then there would be some that would be not yet. So as we look at this passage, as we deal with it, let's see what bits were now and not yet and how this helps us understand this topic. So verses 3, verses, th verses three to 14, when will these things be? Well, Jesus says that the end days have begun. Whenever he rises and goes to be at his father's house and sits at his right hand, then the end days have begun, and we are still in the end days. From verses 4 through 8, they describe what is going to come to those who live in Jerusalem in the next number of years. Verses 4 through 8 are specifically for the disciples. There are things that are going to happen in 70 AD, and these are markers of approaching that time. Watch out that no one will deceive you, for many will come 
and many will claim that they are the Christ. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. The problem that we often have is this, that we read ourselves back into this text and we forget of the context. We forget about it. Jesus here isn't jumping right to the end. That logic would, would, not be, would not be correct. Instead, he tells the disciples when these things will happen. And supported by the historian Josephus, who records at this time that all of these predictions came true. There were false Christs. There were wars and rumors of wars. There were nations that were rising against nations. There were famines and earthquakes in various places. So the disciples knew that this was the beginning of the end. Verse 8, these are the beginning of the birth pains. He was pointing out to those who lived at this time that something horrendous was coming their way. Let us read on, verse 9. Then you'll be handed over and persecuted. You'll be put to death. What is Jesus doing here? He was talking to the disciples in their context, and now he's adding another layer to this. There will be the now element for the disciples, but the not yet for the church. There will be elements of this that we will see in the end days, a general broad sweep. You'll be handed over, you'll be persecuted, the disciples, that'll happen to them in their day, but it will also happen throughout the end days until I return. There'll be many false prophets, there'll be the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm will be saved. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So let's pause just for a moment. Verses 4 through 8, specific for the time, a general mark of the end days, but specific for the disciples. Verses 9 through 14, again, a specific layer, but with general overarching principles that would mark out the end days. And then verse 15 onwards. What is all this about the abomination that causes desolation? Well, this can be taken as a threefold prophecy. It's from the book of Daniel. Daniel points forward to in, in chapter 9 and 11 and 12. There's a prophecy told by him that the abomination of the desolation would come, and we see its partial fulfillment, the first part of it, in 168 BC, when a force comes and it conquers Jerusalem. They erect a pagan temple, and a pagan altar in the temple. They sacrifice a pig. This was a great, great disrespect an insult to all the people of Israel. So there was part of this fulfilled then, but Jesus picks it up here. And he's foretelling of the siege of Jerusalem that will take place in 70 AD. Jesus had firm advice for his disciples. When you see the abomination of the desolation, that is the Roman army, verse 16, flee, run to the mountains. And this goes against the usual advice because the usual advice is run into the city. But Jesus knows what lies ahead for them. So he advises them, don't waste any time. Flee, get out. And our history tells us that the siege of Jerusalem created horrible conditions inside the city. Many were starved to death. And then the Roman army would overcome the walls. They breached the walls and people were slaughtered. Again, Josephus, the historian, records this for us, how bad the tribulation was. So we have the first, the second, 
And the third, Jesse Ryle writes, it is more than probable that our Lord's words have a further and deeper application still. So again, we may see a day like this. So we can conclude from this opening section and explain with great assurance that by verse 25, that Jesus has spoken of what they are to expect as disciples in their context. And in the midst of this, we can see what was now and what is not yet. So we've covered a lot of material, a lot of historical material, but what does this have to tell us? Why is it important to us? You see, as the disciples would hear this from Jesus, it sounds like it is hopeless. Jesus, what are we going to do? Well, there's some lessons for us. First, what we thought about with the young children, there's a warning, don't let anyone deceive you. And so too it applies for us, don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone change the gospel. Don't let them sidetrack us. And what else do we learn? Well, we learn that the last days will be tough. Verse 8, these are the beginning of the birth pains. It's a time of labor. And yet with labor, at the end comes life. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. So we do not expect peace until Christ returns. We don't expect an easy life. Our marriages will not be easy. Our workplaces will not be smooth. Our children will not always obey. Our health will certainly, certainly not be always perfect because our world is being ripped apart by sin. It will appear like destruction is all around us. Our bodies will give way. Our relationships will be challenging. And can you imagine the fear of the disciples? I've just been told they're going to die. Death awaits them. Yet, there is sweetness in the Lord's provision. Note verse 22 and 24. See, church this morning, the elect are cared for. God's elect are always special objects for his care. The tribulation will be shortened for their sake, and Josephus records that it was shortened in 70 A.D., and it will happen again. Those who God has chosen and saved by his grace in and through the sacrifice of a son on Calvary, they are specially loved by the Father. And church, that is us this morning. We are a blessed people. The Father watches over us. His provision is upon us. We are jewels among mankind. We are heirs. He cares more for us than the king upon his throne. He hears our prayers. He keeps us by his spirit. He does not allow the enemy to pluck us out of his hand. Whatever comes, the elect of God are safe. You're safe this morning. You can trust Jesus. Whatever tribulation it is that we face, whatever is all around us, Jesus knows us and he protects us. So although things change, although society changes around us, although it is tossed to and fro, our God never changes. Our God never, ever changes. His plan from Genesis was to restore a people to himself. He has been faithful and he will be faithful to us. He does not change. And that gives us hope. Jesus' words are true. He will come again, 
and we will be saved. And what about verses 26 through 35? Here we see Christ's second coming, and he's picking up this question, what are the signs of the close of this age? Well, some things in life are inevitable, aren't they? As we age, perhaps we get gray hair, or for men, we lose our hair. It's inevitable for us, and I think looking at my own father, that it's inevitable that one day I will lose my hair. And some other things in life are inevitable for us. If we wear our clothes, we have to wash them. If we wash our clothes, we have to iron them. If we eat food in the house, we have to wash the dishes. There are some things that just happen, like the school report, the dreaded school report that would come. Would that one teacher write that bad report It would come unless the royal meal would make a huge mistake. It would arrive in our parents' hands. Well, today we're looking at something far more serious. We're looking at the coming of Christ, and there's going to be no mistakes, but it is inevitable. It is going to happen. The king of kings will arrive, and he tells us how. We see it here. Everyone will know, verse 27, the greatest declaration. It will not be hidden. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not light the sky. Stars will fall. Isaiah 13, 13 tells us that the heavens will tremble, the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Jesus will appear in the sky, verse 30, and the nations will mourn as they see the king coming on the clouds in his power and his glory. His angels will come, the trumpet will sound, and he will gather the elect. This is an event, church, like no other event in history. And we can let these words rule over us because we live in an age of HD screens and of film trailers. This is the coming of our King of Kings. When every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess that He is Lord. We know how the hymn writer puts it, don't we? What a day that will be. And my Jesus, I will see when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. Glorious day that will be. Christian, this is the end of the age. And the king comes in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty, in all of his power and authority. And nations will weep because they did not believe. Brothers and sisters this morning, are you excited by this? Does it thrill your heart? Can you not wait when the church militant here on earth will join with the church triumphant in the heavens and we will enjoy the new heaven and the new earth? So how does this change our lives? How does it change us? Well, Jesus at the end from verse 36 on starts to really apply this and he uses this keep watch faithful servant Uses this phrase, keep watch. We love to be people of predictions, don't we? We do it every week with sport. We hear different commentators predict what the score is going to be. It'll be 3 1, wait till you see. Or whenever we see a couple, a young couple get together, oh, that'll only last a couple of months. Only give them a couple of months and then they'll be broken up. Or you being framed, they make a whole uh, show out of it. What will happen next as we go to the commercial break? We love to be people who predict. Jesus here warns against it. Don't predict. No one knows the time. No one knows when it will be. But here are some of the markers. 
He tells us and points out for us, it will be like the days of Noah, days of corruption and disobedience, a time when people will laugh and mock at the reality of God. But what does he tell us to do? What is the sign of the coming? Well, it will be them types of days. But he tells us he will return quick. So church, be on your guard. Be ready. Stay awake. Verse 40 and 41, people will be taken and others will be left. Jesus uses this picture then of a house that is being broken into, the thief that comes to plunder and to wreck and to destroy, to undo all that the master has done. Christian, are we going to let the thief in? Are we going to be off our guard to come in? Let him come in, the thief that will destroy all the work of God's restoration in our lives, how he's changed our heart, a thief that will come to steal our thriving relationship with Jesus. Are we content to let the enemy come in? Are we happy for the thief to rob us of our blessing and assurance, forgiveness, joy, and unity? Stay awake. Brothers and sisters, stay awake. We do not know when the thief will come and make a ruin of our lives. How do we stay awake? We read his word. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. We read his word. We pray with his people. This church is a church of prayer. We meet at half eight on a Sunday morning. We meet at six o'clock on a Sunday night. We meet uh, every other week on a Wednesday to prayer. When this house gathers, we come together for prayer. Prayer isn't just something that we do to pray for the work. Prayer, Ray Ortland says, is the work. So we stay awake. We use fellowship one with the other. And friends, the good news is this. If we are right beside Jesus, if we walk with him, if we talk with him, we will not fall spiritually asleep. God wants to walk with us. We don't have to chase him down. He's waiting for us. Lastly, Jesus changes picture here. Then he talks about a servant in charge of a house. And we have two types of servant here. We have the active servant and we have the careless servant. No, both servants at this point are in the master's house. They're part of the fellowship. They're in the master's house. And this is a picture for us. We have the genuine, humble, steadfast, faithful, active servant. And this morning, if that is you, if you are a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, humbly following him, be encouraged this morning. Keep serving him in your steadfastness and in your faithfulness. But there's another type of servant. There's one who does not desire what the master desires. He is abusive to his fellow servants. He beats them. His words are harsh to them. He is wicked to them. And we can picture this, can't we? He's running them down with his words. He treats them with no respect. He tears their character apart. Does that sound like any of us this morning in church as we serve our master where he has placed us? We're supposed to be servants of the king, all serving together, yet we beat each other, don't we? we? We tear one another down and apart. We gossip and we treat others with disrespect. And this servant goes on. His attitude is lazy. 
He eats and he drinks with the drunkards. He's turned his back on who he is and what he has been called to do. He's taken his eyes off the task. He's distracted. He's disobedient. He is lazy. Do you know what his problem is this morning? He's comfortable. He's been brought in as a servant, and all is well for him. He's comfortable now in the Father's house. He's not serving. He's not seeking to grow as a person who follows Jesus. He's not serious about his faith. He's not about passing the faith on. He's not excited about doing his master's work. He's not interested in telling others about the good news. And this morning, our churches are full of these types of servants. Across our land, our churches are full of them. People who take advantage of the master, who do not care about discipleship, who do not care about spreading the good news of the gospel, whose joy is not found in the Lord, they are lazy with what they've been privileged with. The Bible says that these people are a disgrace. And they're a joke. Verse 51. The master will cut him into pieces. Hypocrite. And cast him into weeping and to the gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, this morning, listen up and waken up. If this is where you have got to as a servant of the Lord, then seek him. Have you taken your eyes off the master? Are you living your way and not his way? Are you taking his grace and abusing it? Are you thinking, I'm okay for a while. Jesus isn't coming back yet. I'm not going to die yet. I'm a servant. I'm enjoying myself. I'll tighten things up a little later with no desire to share the gospel, no desire for obedience, no desire to disciple. Waking up. Keep watch on your souls. Jesus is coming again, Christian brother and sister. Nor are we ready. Friend here this morning, if you don't follow Jesus, if you're not a disciple, you've not confessed your sin, you've not asked Jesus to save you, do you see who you're dealing with this morning? This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords. And He is coming. He's the master, he's the king, he's the Christ, he's the son of man. And friend, if you live your life without Christ, you will be left behind when he returns. You'll be cast into this place. And not this morning isn't to scare anyone, but it's my responsibility and love to tell you the truth of what the Bible warns us of. This is what Jesus warns his disciples of, to keep watch. But there's good news this morning. We praise God this morning. Why? Because we are here and we are still alive and he hasn't returned yet, so there is still time for us, Christian servant. If you've taken your eyes off him, if you've become lazy and comfortable, seek his face. Seek repentance this morning. Ask him to forgive us. Ask him to kindle our heart and affection for him again. Friend here this morning that doesn't yet know Christ, Bow the knee. Worship him. Confess your sin. 
because there is forgiveness and love and mercy and grace. And Jesus is calling us this morning, all of us, to repent. Jesus' words are true. He will come again. And church, we must be ready. Servants, all of us, those who know him and don't, he will come again. His words are true. We must be ready. Let us bow in prayer. Father God, you are the master of the house. And Father, your son has told us here in Scripture what would happen to disciples. He's given general principles of what will happen to us in end days. And Father, you have warned us the servant who serves you in faithfulness and humility and who does your will will be greatly rewarded and you make your face shine upon them. But Father, for those who don't, you have no time for them. You will cast them away. Father, our prayer for each one of us here this morning in this place is that we would be faithful servants of you. Father, keep us close by your side. Keep us awake. Let our hearts be constantly filled with the joy of the Lord. May we, may we read of your word and consume it. May it be joy to us. May we pray together. May we have fellowship one with the other. Father, please waken us. Stir our hearts. May we never be comfortable. May we never be lazy in your work. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. And you are coming again. Father, help us to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.